Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, first up, we know that Christmas can be a stressful time of year, and Deborah Cody talked with me recently about the topic of stress, especially as it pertains to moms. You'll be hearing some of her insight ahead. Then, family relationships often become front and center during the holidays, and Jensen Franklin of Free Chapel shared about a crisis at his family through which God had brought them and provided words of encouragement. And former law enforcement officer Adam Davis returned to my radio show to discuss some of the pressures facing the marriages of those who are called to protect our communities. He provided words of inspiration. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, Kenny Vaughn has been involved in providing scripture-engraved dog tags known as Shields of Strength for military and law enforcement. You'll find out about the origins of this unique effort, as well as his latest book, which contains a tribute to the late President George H.W. Bush. Plus, a refugee from Iraq who now makes his home in Texas where he pastors a church, Jaleel Dawood visited with me to talk about the recent legislation signed by the president protecting religious freedom rights of persecuted religious minorities, including Christians in Iraq and Syria. Finally, you'll be hearing from Deb Waterbury of Life Everlasting Ministries, who is featured in an upcoming documentary spotlighting women in Africa who have had renewed hope through their involvement in a tailoring school there. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Deborah Cody is the author of around 30 Too Blessed to be Stressed books and has written Too Blessed to be Stressed for Moms. Against the backdrop of the stressful Christmas season, she discussed with me a number of stress-producing elements and provided some principles consistent with Scripture that can help to relieve stress. From that conversation, this is Deborah Cody. I think Christmas, we all know, is one of the most stressful times, especially for women. Um, Back about seven years ago, when the first book, Too Blessed to Be Stressed, came out, and I call that the mama book, (laughs) <laughs> because it has had given offspring. Uh, yes. We have about 30 now. Wow. Uh, different, yeah, in the Too Blessed to Be Stressed series. And the newest um, came out because as I was traveling and speaking to women's groups after the first book came out for these past seven years, I keep running across women who have expressed frustration with different specific stressors that are common to the hood. And by that, I mean motherhood. Uh, and so Too Blessed to Be Stressed for Moms is me throwing a life preserver to mothers who feel like they're drowning in the stressful of life. And I truly believe this is a life preserver that can help a woman keep her head above water because it's made of empathy, lots of encouragement, and a lot of good reasons to laugh out loud. Well, tell me what you see as being maybe some of the biggest stress areas that moms face these days. Well, I'll say one of the biggest is the shoulds. Uh, uh-huh. I think we we put pressure on ourselves because of the shoulds. And should is a dangerous word. It's a stress-filled, pressure-packed slave driver that ruthlessly inflates the bulk of a mother's to-do list. It even crowds out the healthy sanity essentials with guilt-induced clutter. For example, I should go to that parents' meeting. I should clean my house so the kids will stop finger-writing in the dust. Don't eat here. I, I should make a meal every night like my mother did because she's driving me crazy about it. I should do more. I should help more. I should be more. You know, but as every mother trying to squeeze into last year's skinny jeans knows, 
more isn't always better. Sometimes it's just overwhelming. But, you know, we can be whelmed without being overwhelmed. Whelmed is livable. Yeah. Overwhelmed is strangling. So I think we moms just have to recognize that we truly do have the power to choose which shoulds are potential coulds, and then unapologetically embrace the woman that our choices make us. And that's what I'm trying to do with Too Blessed to Be Stressed for Moms is to make some suggestions and try to help women uh, know that there are some ways that we can morph performance pressure from strangling to livable. You also mentioned applying principles that could help a lady to kind of deal we deal with or manage or reduce these shoulds. So what would you say would be some of the principles that you would want moms to apply? Well, I think one that um, is very applicable at Christmas time is to avoid boop. B-O-O-P. That is what I call boiling oatmeal overflow phenomenon. It is one of my Cody near facts of science that I sprinkle throughout my books. And near facts of science are, uh, you know, not necessarily proven um, theories by actual scientific studies, but they are nevertheless known by women to be true. Uh, And BOOP is my theory that women are like little pots of oatmeal. At the beginning of the day, we simmer little manageable bubbles that rise to the surface and harmlessly pop. But as the day progresses and the heat escalates, then that oatmeal boils higher and wilder and meaner until it overflows and spoils everything around it with an ugly, sticky mess. And that would be you around 4 p.m. So the key to avoiding boop is knowing when to remove the pot from the burner. Mm. And that leads me to the next suggestion uh, that helps alleviate a little performance pressure, especially here at Christmas time, and that is to be a dipstick. Um, I think the Lord only puts enough fuel in our daily tank for us to arrive safely at the destination that he's routed out for us that day. And all the other detours we add will either run us out of gas or land us in a ditch. So we have to routinely check our tank, review our destination, and then engage in what I call the three P's. Prioritize, plan, and pace yourself. Deborah Cody here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website, DebraCody.com. And Deborah is spelled D-E-B-O-R-A. Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's the senior pastor of Free Chapel based in Gainesville, Georgia, Jensen Franklin. In a conversation correlating toward family challenges during the holidays, he discussed struggles with his own family relative to the book, Love Like You've Never Been Hurt, Hope, Healing, and the Power of an Open Heart. Here now is Jensen Franklin. I know how people feel. I'll never have a person come up to me and say to me, pray for me, pray for my family, pray for my child. Uh, we're going through hell. Our family's going through hell. I can't just hear that and casually pray anymore because of what we went through for three years where it got so dark that I wondered if we'd ever spend a Christmas together again, if we'd ever have a meal together again, if we would ever hug and kiss and love and post family pictures and go on vacations together again. It was that bad. And I can only imagine if I'm a preacher and I am giving everything I've got 
you know, to the word and to the church to try to live this thing. And it was all that we could do to get through it. What are people going through? And the most amazing thing began to happen that when I became, my wife and I just decided to write this book together. Um, we, you know, we, we just decided to take the, the, the mask off of ministry and just say, you know what? We're just real people, too. We go through struggles just like everybody else. But if you can learn to love like you've never been hurt, and I can honestly say, um, you know, I hear this saying all the time, and I've got one of the chapters in the book. Everybody talks about forgive and forget. But how do you forget when somebody's really done you wrong? How do you forget when you feel betrayed? How do you forget when somebody stole thousands of dollars from you or, or somebody may be listening and their husband or wife cheated on them? How do you forgive and forget? I don't think you can. I don't think forgiveness is amnesia. I think forgiveness is you you remember it differently. It, it it you still remember what took place, but it becomes a reference point of how far you've come by God's grace. And I can truly say, looking back on it now, even though it was the darkest season of our life uh, in, in that time frame, those three years, I can honestly say that I, I remember it, that I remember it differently. What would you say would be a couple of principles that people can keep in mind as they face the holidays and really perhaps begin to see this time of year as being a time for forgiveness and for healing of relationships? This is the time of the year when we have to face any issues in our families because it just it's kind of like it's just there and it's the elephant in the room and it's not going to go away. And so that's my point, I think, with the book, is when you begin to love like you've never been hurt, it's not that you are a doormat or a test dummy or, or some kind of, uh, you know, just beat-up bag that, that any way people want to treat you, they can treat you. That's not what love like you've never been hurt means. It just means I, I'm going to be at peace whether you're at peace with me or not. I'm not going to let you drag me into the depths of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. Sometimes you have to be at peace with the fact everybody's not at peace with you. But if you have peace with yourself and with God, and you're doing your best to have peace with people who you care about, but maybe there's issues there, then then that's all that you can do. You know, sometimes you have to love people uh, from a distance, meaning I can see them and I can have a meal with them, and I will be cordial and friendly. And, and you know, it's little steps. It's tiny steps. It's it's sometimes, I remember the first meal that I had with my now son-in-law, you know, this this young man and, and my and my daughter. And I'm just, I'm just being honest. You know, everything in me as a father and a man, just uh, it took all that I had to sit there at that table and, and keep my cool. But, you know, in that process, little by little by little god began to do a work but i had to be willing and i think that's the first step is you just you just have to make up your mind that you're going to be at peace and that you're going to love people like you've never been hurt and you say well how do you do that what jesus said how many peter said how many times do i need to forgive somebody and jesus said 70 times seven and i call this in the book of uh, do a chapter on the mathematics of forgiveness. Seventy times seven is four hundred ninety times a day, and that's about three times. That's about that's that's 
that's enough forgiveness in one day for the same thing to talk about every three minutes to forgive somebody. And so what, what I want to say to people listening is what Jesus was saying was forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. Jensen Franklin here on The Intersection. You can learn more at the website, Jensen, J-E-N-T-E-Z-E-N, franklin.org. Well, I had a chance recently to talk with Adam Davis, former police officer in Dothan, Alabama. He shared about some of the pressures on the marriages of those involved in law enforcement, as well as first responders and those serving in the military. In light of the book, he has co-authored called Bulletproof Marriage, a 90-day devotional. From that conversation, this is Adam Davis. You know, I think one of the biggest things, Bobby, is the the transition from, from duty to home. Uh, you, you for for however many hours that you're on duty, be it eight, ten, or twelve hours or, or more, uh, you're you're dealing with death and destruction. You're dealing with just evil and and hate and 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 it's difficult to to unload that and unpackage that and flip a switch. It's, it's impossible to just flip a switch and and go home to be you know uh, kind and loving and and, and joyous and. And uh, it's impossible to do that on our own and in our own strength, but God has given us uh, all the tools that we need to, to deal with those things. And, and so I think that the, one of the biggest things is that transition from duty to home, and, and it's imperative to understand that our, our marriages are made in the little things. It's in the little, it's in the little things. It's in the, it's in the, the daily uh, behaviors, the daily actions, the intentionality of, of saying, okay, well, when I come home, I'm going to talk to my spouse with a loving tone. Uh, it, my words matter, but also the way I speak my words matter and the timing of those words. So I talk a lot about, in Bulletproof Marriage, uh, we talk a lot about communication, but not just communication, but how we communicate and when we communicate. And uh, understanding the challenges that we face, the stressors that we are exposed to on a daily basis on duty. And then also not demeaning the the role of our spouse, regardless of whatever their role is, uh, just because they're not on the lines uh, physically doing battle with us doesn't mean that they're not with us. They're with us in everything we do and encouraging them to uh, attack life's challenges as one team fighting with each other, for each other, not against each other. I wanted you, if you would please, to comment on a couple of the leading biblical principles that you and Lieutenant Colonel Grossman actually inject into this devotional book. Yeah, you, you know, the, the single greatest thing that we can do is, is to have a spirit-led marriage, a marriage that's centered around who Jesus is, what our relationship with the Father is like, and the fact that we have the power uh, given uh, through his word and a relationship with him to be more than conquerors, to live life to the fullest, that when we give our marriages back to him and understand that this is not our own life, these are not our, these are not our opportunities, these are not our gifts, this is not our life, this is all his. And we are just to be obedient to him, and we can be more than conquerors than uh, – then we can we can have a successful marriage. Forging a resilient marriage isn't isn't something that happens overnight. It's not something that happens in the easy moments. It's something that happens in the moments of difficulty, of challenge, in the face of evil, when we choose to surrender ourselves to His will 
and to lean on his understanding, lean on his ways and, and not on our own. And, and I think that's the greatest thing is, is that we can trust him and that as we surrender our will uh, and lay aside selfishness, lay aside pride and lean on what he has given us through his word, we can have a, a bulletproof marriage. Adam Davis here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, theadamdavis.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. On that homepage, you will find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. And you can get The Intersection podcast through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit the website, faithradio.org. You can reach the Meeting House homepage through that website in the programming section, or you can go to meetinghouseonline.info. Now more of the Intersection podcast. Kenny Vaughn, the originator of Shields of Strength, which are scripture-engraved dog tags sent to military and law enforcement personnel, shared some background of the items and elaborated on themes contained in his book, The Right Fight, how to live a loving life. From that conversation, this is Kenny Vaughn. You know, I tell people, I wrote Shields of Strength, and it was about how how Shields of Strength got started, why we made the first one, and kind of where they were at that point. But the right fight is, I would say, is what we have learned from 20 years of making them and giving them away and just studying and just seeking the truth. I, I, I like to say I'm a, I'm a truth seeker. I just, mm. as an athlete, what I learned, finally learned after years was that if I were, if I mastered the fundamentals, everything else would take care of itself. And I had a tendency as an athlete to want to look, just kind of blow by the fundamentals, the kindergarten stuff, and try to try to do all of the top level stuff. And what I found was that until I mastered the the kindergarten stuff, I could never accomplish the, the top level stuff. And when I mastered the kindergarten stuff, the top level stuff took care of itself. If that makes sense. And so. Now I'm learning what God's Word is and how it works. And when I get into His Word, all I want to know is, ever since I've learned that lesson, all I want to know is what's the one thing that changes everything? What's the, what is the one thing that if I get right takes care of everything else, and if I get it wrong, just destroys everything else? And so what I found in, in God's Word was it, the one thing was love. You know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so I had to ask myself, and then, you know, the Bible tells us you get that right, everything else takes care of itself. If you do all kinds of things, but you don't have love, you gain nothing. So I'm like, okay, this is it. So then I had to ask myself the question I felt like any great coach would ask me. Okay, Kenny, if, if love is the one thing that takes care of everything, what is love? I couldn't answer that question, and I didn't know what love was. I mean, I thought it was a feeling. I thought I thought it was all kinds of things. I thought it was beyond my control. And so I set out on a journey, 
and I've been on it for 15 years of trying to figure out what love is, how it works, and what its greatest enemies are. What I found is that is that love is not a feeling. The feeling of love is the fruit of love. Love is a decision to do what's best for someone else without regard for yourself. Just as an example, if you ask me if I love my wife, Tammy, I'll tell you I love her with all my heart. But if I'm talking about the feeling of love, maybe that's a fair statement. But if I'm really talking about loving Tammy, what I'm telling you is that Tammy loves me when I tell you I love her with all my heart. Because Tammy is being loving towards me. There's seven things that love is, and there's eight things that love is not. These are all in 1 Corinthians 13. If Tammy is mostly the seven things that love is, patient, kind, but if she's most of those seven things towards me, then I'm going to tell you I love Tammy. So the feeling of love I have for Tammy is the fruit. Most of it is the fruit of her loving me. If she becomes the eight things love is not, angry, rude, envious, prideful, delighting and evil, all these things, and you check back with me in a year or so, if I'm talking about the feeling of love, I'm going to tell you I fell out of love with her. But none of that's the truth, by the way. We don't fall in love mm. and we don't fall out of love. So I'm starting to learn. I'm learning these things. I'm learning that if you want to know if I love Tammy, you don't need to ask me. You need to ask her. And if you want to know if Tammy loves me, you need to ask me. And if I really mm. love Tammy, my wife, even if she becomes the eight things that love is not towards me, I will still do what is best for her without regard for myself and regardless of how I feel. So I started learning that love wasn't a feeling. It was a decision to do what was best for others without regard for yourself. And that if we if we got in the fight to live a loving life, that fruitfulness became our destiny. So if you know anyone that sees seven things that love is, imagine them like the roots on a tree. Fruitful, it's just a fruitful person. They may get hurt. People may take their fruit. They may hurt them. But if they remain loving, fruitfulness remains their destiny. But the trap in life is you hurt me, and I want to get back what you took from me. I want to hurt you back. And so I live like this forever. If you love me, I loved you. If you didn't love me, I didn't love you. So you controlled my life, and, and you told me what I should do. And then none of that was love, by the way. Loving to be love is not love. It's manipulation. And so I go on forever about this, but as I start learning these things, and studying and digging and digging into God's Word, finally what I realized was that the wrong fight is the fight to be loved. That will destroy you. The right fight is the fight to love. Kenny Vaughn here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website shieldsofstrength.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Jaleel Dawood, the founder of World Refugee Care, pastor of the Arabic Church in Dallas, and author of the book, The Refugee, a story of God's grace and hope on one man's road to refuge. In our conversation, he shared a little of his own story, having left Iraq, and gave response to the recently signed Iraq and Syria Genocide Relief and Accountability Act. From that conversation, this is Jaleel Dawood. I think it's a wonderful thing that for the first time in history, I think, where America said we're going to stand with the Christians of the Middle East. Uh, you know, as far as I know, this is the first time. And as far as I know, this is the first president ever that would do that. And, and you know, this is a, something has to do with supporting the people who are staying there by rebuilding their communities with a grant of $300 million, which is a one-time thing. 
to help them reestablish themselves. So it is a, a good thing for the people who are there if, the, you know, Lord willing, they get that help and they get that opportunity to reestablish their, you know, uh, their, their communities and survive over there. So that's, uh, that's the most wonderful thing. And I'm thankful to the Lord for the president, for his stand beside the Christian people. The other uh, presidents would not do it, did not do it. None of them did. Uh, they spoke about it, maybe, or some of them not even mentioning it. But uh, he did something. And doing something is a wonderful thing. So this will help, uh, Lord willing, internally for these people to be sustained, and also to hold the people who persecute them accountable. So it has two segments, legal and uh, economic, and I hope that both work for the people who are staying behind and unable to leave like uh, many of us fled and were able financially to flee. Those people are there, they're stuck because they have nobody to go to, they are unable to go to anywhere. So that's we'll cover that. The second segment I'm praying about is the people who are in neighboring nations of uh, of Jordan, Lebanon, and uh, Turkey. There is uh, thousands and thousands of uh, Christian people and others, uh, you know, trying to flee, and they haven't had any chance to get somewhere. Uh, I'm talking about people that I visit, I pray with. And we're trying to feed many families of them who have no food. So we need to pray for them that the Lord will open opportunity for them to get some other nation to take them where they can start new life. Some people have been there uh, up to nine years. I've met some people there uh, waiting to get somewhere. What are some means that the U.S. can take to actually hold people legally accountable for persecuting Christians and other religious minorities? I think uh, I, I'm praying that the that America will do that not only to Iraq, to the 1040 window. And the 1040 window in, where the minorities, uh, Christian minority live, they are persecuted. And we need to hold nations accountable to protect those minorities among them and to hold them accountable and not to give them aid if they persecute Christians and not to put laws such as as blasphemy law, because you can come as my neighbor. If you don't like me, you're going to say, oh, you you cursed my prophet, and therefore you blaspheme me, and I can take you to court, and I can uh, get you hanged. So these laws need to be uh, challenged by United States and other decent nation to stand and say, you can't do that. And if you do that, we're not going to stand with you. And also we can tell that to the Iraqi government, that you are responsible if a Christian get killed uh, because you're promoting an agenda that is not protecting the minorities among you. And with all what we have done, we spend a trillion dollar freeing you from Saddam Hussein. The least you can do is give the people who are internally based in your nation some freedom to exercise their faith, freedom to be safe, freedom to to have a normal life. And that's what we have to speak to them on that level and then that term. Jaleel Dawood here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website worldrefugeecare.org. Well, next up, in advance of the premiere of the documentary Reap What You Sow on NRB TV in December of 2018, Deb Waterbury, founder and president of Love Everlasting Ministries, discussed a ministry outreach to women in Africa involving tailoring classes providing opportunities for entrepreneurship. 
Here now from that conversation is Deb Waterbury. It has been a school that we've had going now for about two years. I guess we're going, yeah, we're just about finished with our second year. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for impoverished women to come out of poverty. We only choose the most impoverished women at a time and teach them a trade. Uh, it's a six-month school that teaches them the, the craft of sewing and um, being a tailor. And then while they're getting that six months of training, they're also getting business training at the same time. So at the end of the six months, when they graduate, they receive the mach- machine they've been sewing on as well as a starter kit that gets them ready to start their business. And so then, they, then we launch them out and they become business women. And so far we've had two classes graduate. The third one is, is about to graduate in January. And of those graduates, almost all of them, the only two that are not running their own business right now are the two that had a baby as soon as class was over. So wow. they're still kind of trying to get that taken care of. But everybody else that's graduated, they're now very successful business women. So it's, um, it's been a wonderful blessing to watch unfold. Well, what is very interesting is that Malawi is a nation, again, on the continent of Africa. And mm-hmm. as I understand, is it, it's hard to imagine life without a superstore or a department store, but there right. are no department stores in Malawi. So there is an enormous, it seems like, demand for tailors because that's where people go to buy their clothing. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, they don't have any. I mean, this, well, for one thing, Malawi and Mozambique, just close on its heels, are two of the poorest countries in the world. And so when you visit these countries, you are really and truly visiting, you know, the truest sense of a third world country. And they don't have department stores. They don't have Walmart. They don't have what we have. And so everybody within the realms of these communities get their clothes from tailors. And so it really is an excellent profession for women to go into. The problem is, is that there's no education necessarily in place for women in these countries, especially with no money. And so what you do is you have this really terrible cycle of poverty for these very impoverished women who are in these outlying villages who have no way to make any money so that they can then feed themselves and their children but then they have no way to get an education so that they could or any way to make money to actually get the machine or the materials needed to start a business. They, you know, need to learn the trade, then they need the the machine and stuff to be able to start that. And so it really is this awful cycle because they just don't have any way to get that unless they have money and they don't need that to get money. You you hear the cycle. So um, it is, it's a wonderful trade for these women and what they can do is the machine sustains them, it sustains their family. It's a, it's a, a trade that they can teach their children. They can, um, you know, continue it on in the village. And I've seen when I was there this past summer, I mean, it transformed an entire village. We put one machine with one woman running a business in an impoverished village, and the entire village was transformed because commerce has now come in. It's, it's a crazy thing to, you know, God's amazing. And, and you only, you know, you only have to take one little step out and, and just it's I, I think you know I think it's beautiful that God knew what He was talking about. Jesus knew what He was talking about <laughs> in terms of of this is who we help. We help the impoverished. We help the widows. We help the orphans. And you know when you do that, of course you're doing it in service. But there's an amazing thing that happens too. I mean I I believe everything in me that this entire country can turn around if we can go to the lowest in that economic echelon and help them provide for themselves in the name of Jesus. And so that's what we're prayerfully doing, one woman at a time. Deb Waterbury here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website, debwaterbury, B-U-R-Y, dot com. 
Well, this has been the Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the Faith Radio website. Go to the programming section. You'll find a link to the Meeting House homepage. When you visit, you'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast-receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more about downloading it for your smartphone or tablet when you visit faithradio.org. Also, through the Meeting House homepage, there are links to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.